0: Today's scripture comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to um, 24. Paul called by God. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my formal life in Judaism, Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of God.
1: Hey New Hope, it is very good to see you all. I want to welcome you all once again. Um, my name is Rob. Um, pastor here. If I don't know you yet, I'd love to get to know you um, today. Um, and if you're visiting with us especially, I just want to welcome you and, and let you know that we're, we're really glad that you're here. Um, one shout out to one first time um, church attendee in particular. I spotted um, a little man by the name of Christopher Ahn back here. And uh, this is his first time in the building, I believe. He's only a couple weeks old. So praise the Lord for um, the health that he's given to, um, to Christopher's parents. Oh, they're back there, Jenny and, and Jimmy, and he's back there. Yeah, man. Praise the Lord. Thank you for, for bringing that little man out to worship God with us. Um, today's message is a simple one, but it's an important one. And, and I think it's simple enough that I can, I, can, I can summarize it in two sentences. And here it goes. The gospel is not a call to work harder to reach God. It's the story of how God worked all things together to reach you. The gospel is not a call to work harder to reach God. The gospel is a story, it's the story of how God worked all things together to reach you. Last week, we started Um, walking through the epistle to the Galatians. This New Testament book, epistle means letter, and this is a letter that was written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which uh, most scholars agree was probably in what is now central Turkey. And what we saw last week in the opening words of this letter is is that the letter to the Galatians is a message from God. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, but he makes it clear in a very early word, right in the beginning, he says, I'm writing this as an apostle, that is, as one who has been set apart and sent by God. I write this letter to you as a representative of God. So the letter comes to us with all the authority of God Himself. It's a message from Him. But the other thing we saw last week is that not only is Galatians a message from God, it's also a confrontational message. There are some tough words in this letter. And, and what we need to know, what we need to know, when we saw this last week, and I want us to revisit it again, is that when God confronts us, that's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. When God himself confronts us and starts to, talk to us about things that are in our hearts or things that maybe he's confronting us about our words or actions or our thoughts or our character but when he confronts us it's actually an act of grace that is in the confrontation itself god is extending kindness to us undeserved kindness you and i need god to confront us If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God confronts you in different ways. Maybe he confronts you as you're reading his word. Or maybe in times of prayer. Maybe it's through preaching. Maybe God confronts you through a friend or a family member. It's always his spirit that's doing the work, but his spirit uses different tools. Maybe you're driving down the highway. And, and you begin to, to, to think of things. You begin to realize certain things about your words, your, your, your thoughts, your actions, your character, your life. That you've never really taken the time to think about. Or you've never been able to really see clearly. God is revealing them to you. And, and, and it's hard when you start to see those things. Or when God's word starts to convict you and pierce you. It's hard to receive that. And yet I'm saying, it's always a good thing. Because God is moving towards you in grace. His goal is not just to reveal your sin to yourself so that you'll be left in a place of just, like, despair and shame. His goal is that you would go from seeing the sin to then seeing Christ. And in Christ, see the solution to the sin. So that in Christ, you'd see that there is, in fact, forgiveness. There is, in fact, healing. There is renewal in Jesus himself. So, when God confronts us, let's embrace that. Let's take it, and let's listen to the Holy Spirit when he's convicting us. And let's agree with him. Remember, we we saw last week that that sometimes we we opt for different strategies when God starts confronting us. Sometimes we might try to ignore what he's showing us. Sometimes we might try to self-justify, cover up for ourselves in the face of what he's showing us. Or sometimes we try to deflect attention elsewhere. Start comparing ourselves to other people. Deflect the attention to someone else who's got way more problems than we do. Or is clearly much worse sinner than we are. That sort of thing. But all of those, all of those are such unwise options. But I wonder if maybe you caught yourself doing any of those things this week. I wonder, I wonder if you, you spotted yourself implementing any of those strategies. I suspect that many of you did. If you were paying attention to the movements of your heart over the course of this week, I know that I saw this in myself. And so we need the Lord Jesus to again and again come back to us and say, listen, call us back and say, when confrontation comes from the Lord, embrace that, listen to it, ponder it, meditate over it, pray over it, and ultimately, ultimately, find the solution to the sin that you're being confronted over in Jesus Christ himself. That is what Jesus is calling us back to again as we come back to the book of Galatians today. He's calling us to give up all those strategies that ignoring or deflecting or self-justifying. As one teacher by the name of Paul Tripp puts it, God's calling us to fire our inner lawyers. You know, that lawyer, you, maybe you have him on retainer, you have her on retainer, and um, whenever... Whenever um, the Spirit starts to convict you about your words, your actions, your thoughts, your character, any aspect of your life, you you, you bring out that lawyer and, and you hear that voice starting to defend you and deflect and justify. Jesus wants us to look at him and see in him the only advocate we need. He wants us to say, Jesus, you are my only advocate So so because you are on my side, I can wholeheartedly and with confidence say, God, by your Holy Spirit, search me and show me. See if there's any evil way in me. And when you see it, lead me out of it. Lead me in the way everlasting. And you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, when God confronts you, that's still an act of grace. There's still so much good in that, even if you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian right now. So I want to to encourage you to embrace that too. Paul, the author of this letter, knows this from firsthand experience, that it is good when God confronts you. Because before the Apostle Paul was an apostle, before he was a Christian, I'm going to show you what happened here in Acts chapter 9. Let's look at it. He tells us a story in Acts chapter 9 about what, what happened. The, 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 the author of Acts, Luke, tells us a story about what happened to Paul who at the time was going by the name Saul. Look what it says there, Acts 9, 1. It says, But Saul, later to be known as the Apostle Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way that is any... Who are following Jesus the way with shorthand for Christianity, any of the Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is what I call a confrontation. (laughs) This is God stopping you in your tracks. The Apostle Paul was, was breathing threats and murder against the followers of Jesus. All right? He was completely opposed to Christians. This, this doesn't mean that he was just saying mean things about him. He wasn't just like, you know, instigating a smear campaign against them. He wasn't just publishing negative op-ed articles about them. He wasn't just, you know, posting Sarcastic memes about them. He was actually hunting down Christians. And, and he was having them arrested. And in some cases, he was having them executed. He's on his way to do just that in the city of Damascus when Jesus himself confronts him and says, why are you persecuting me? Talk about confrontation. Now, I'm not, I don't think that Paul, at the, at the moment when that happened, necessarily saw good in that. Or saw grace in it. I'm guessing that Saul probably thought that this was the end for him. He's been arresting, murdering, otherwise just harassing Christians. Jesus says, I associate so much with these Christians that when you persecute them, you're actually persecuting me. I'm the Lord. And Saul sees that because Saul even calls him Lord, even before he even knows who he is. Saul probably thought, this is the end of the road. I've made a horrible mistake. I don't know if I'll ever get to Damascus. I don't know if I'll ever make it out of this spot here because I've just been confronted by an angry God who's saying, you are my enemy. But eventually Paul would come to see wonderful grace in all of that. Saul eventually saw the goodness of God in that confrontation. He came to love the Jesus who confronted him. Because Saul for so long, I keep calling him Saul or Paul, same thing, right? He had gone for years, years trying to be righteous. He was doing everything he could to be righteous in the eyes of God. He wanted to be a good person in God's eyes. We're going to see later how hard he worked for that. But this confrontation and what you'd come to, to see from Jesus in the days following would convince him that righteousness does not come by working hard to impress God, but that righteousness comes by grace through faith in Jesus. That is, you are made righteous. You are made right by grace. And grace means a gift. It means it's freely given to you. You don't make yourself righteous, God does. You don't justify yourself, God justifies you. It's freely offered, and the way you receive that free offer is by faith. Simple faith. Trusting belief, but more specifically, it's trusting belief in Jesus Christ himself. Who he is, and what he did when he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. That's the gospel that the Apostle Paul came to embrace. And it all started with that confrontation. And he not only embraced that message of the gospel, that that message of righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus, but he started passing it on like crazy. He dedicated the rest of his life to teaching it. He did that in the region of Galatia, in fact. He helped plant these churches in Galatia that were founded on that very message. But, but by the time we, we get to, to this point in history, when the book of Galatians was written, Paul had heard that, that the people that he had passed this message on in this region were deserting it. They were trading this beautiful message of grace in for a distorted version of the gospel. Paul says earlier in in Galatians 1, it wasn't really a gospel, it was a fake gospel, it was a distorted, warped version of the true message. People in Galatia who were distorting the gospel and were leading others astray, they 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 were sowing seeds of distrust in that church against Paul. They're saying, look, Paul was here with you, he taught you this message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus it's a fine message, but it really isn't the full gospel. There's more to it, folks. So They, they started adding elements to this gospel. And they saw, also started undermining the authority of the apostle Paul and saying, look, Paul wasn't even really a legitimate apostle in the first place. We saw that last time. And then, and, and, and then they also say, not only was he not really a legitimate apostle, but the, the gospel he gave you, it was like A second-hand, counterfeit, bootleg gospel. It wasn't the real deal. And Paul addresses that directly here in the verses we're looking at today. Because in verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, the message I gave you came straight from God. I didn't make it up myself, and I certainly didn't get it from someone else. God revealed it to me through Jesus. The gospel was delivered to me firsthand. Now, now, now here's the thing. Lots of religions make this sort of claim, don't they? There have been many religious leaders throughout history that have said, I got a revelation from God, I'm now going to pass it on to you, and I want you all to follow me. You've heard this story before, right? Religions have been founded on this. Mormonism, I think, was founded largely on that kind of of message. Islam as well, the fastest growing religions in the the world, also uh, based on that idea that, that someone, a prophet, gets a revelation from God and then tells everyone, here's what God said, Follow me. This is truth. Now, what's different about what Paul is saying here, because he's saying kind of the same thing. He's saying, Look, God gave this to me directly. Listen to me. But what's different here is that he's saying, It's not a unique message that I received. In fact, the message that I'm giving you and that I gave you is the same message that Jesus preached when he walked the earth. It's the same message that was pointed to throughout the Old Testament. It's the same message that John and Peter and all the other disciples preach. It's not a unique message. I'm just telling you, I didn't get it from them. I got it from God. But it's the same message they gave you. You see, God, so consistent. It's, the message of salvation has always been the same message. Salvation by grace through faith. All throughout the scriptures we see it. It's less clear in the Old Testament, but as we make our way through, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Paul's saying, my message is that same old message. Thing is, I got it directly from God. I didn't receive it from someone else. So don't accuse me of somehow somehow just inheriting a man-made message from another teacher. In verse 23, in fact, it says that people came to see that, that he who used to persecute us, Paul, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So he was preaching the same gospel that he had once tried to snuff out. The next section here gets especially interesting, in my opinion. Because the Apostle Paul starts to tell a story Here. He starts to tell his own story. And I think it's a pretty awesome story. Um, I don't know if any of you are comic book fans. Growing up, I was not a huge comic book fan. Even now, I'm not a really big um, fan of, of superhero movies and that sort of thing. But maybe some of you are. But one, one aspect of that genre, the comic book realm, that, I, that I've always loved is the idea of an origin story. Do you know what that is? The origin story. It, it, it's, it's where you find out where it all started for some particular character. Like, like the story of like how did Batman become Batman, right? Or, or how did Spider-Man realize that he was different from everyone else and he had, he had these new abilities? And, and what I love about those origin stories is that those characters, they, they're facing all these identity issues when they start to realize they're different from everyone else or, they, or they're going through this, they're becoming a hero. And, and, and so they they're think, like, who am I really? And, and, and what do I do with this? And and how's this going to affect the people in my life? And, and how am I going to live now with these powers or now with this new identity? So that, that's what that's what really gets me about these superhero movies. That's what I love. My my kids love like the the, the fights and the action. That's cool too. But i uh I don't know. Sometimes I'm like you know where does where does Peter Parker get his like sense of you know self from? Where, 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 where did he, where, where, what does he do with these identity issues that he's struggling with? Where does he get his, his sense of true value and, and, and identity? Well, origin stories are simply the stories of how people became who they are. Paul here gives us his origin story. So, so, so check it out here in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently. And I tried to destroy it. And and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. You see, the Apostle Paul, at one time, was a star on the rise within his faction of Judaism as a Pharisee. He says, you've heard about this. You've heard about me. I I was kind of a big deal. I I had surpassed my peers in terms of just my academic ability, my spirituality, my zeal for God. I was head and shoulders above others. I was on the rise. He says, I was all about maintaining the religious traditions of my ancestors. I took it seriously. And I was better than most of my peers at it. But, but he goes on to say it was, it was a violent history, too. Because Paul's goal in life was actually the total extermination of Christianity. He wanted these followers of Jesus done and dead. But here he says, that's my former life. You, you see the flip here. What, what took place... What he now calls the traditions of men, he used to think those are from God. And what he used to consider a bunch of confused religious fanatics called Christians who are following this guy that they believe rose from the dead, he now calls them the church of God. You see, everything had flipped in his life. And and I think that when we look at this, we have to ask what happened to make this change? Now, if you're a member of the Galatian church, this letter would have been read to you in public in the gathered church. And as you heard this read for the first time, you might think, oh, okay, this is a point where the apostle Paul is going to tell us that story about how he's on his way to Damascus and then Jesus showed up, he fell, he was blind, he repented, and he followed Jesus and he became the apostle. That's probably the story Paul's going to tell here, but it's not the story he tells His origin story actually starts way before that. Because look in verse 15. He says, But, but, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. You see, here's Paul's origin story. It starts before he was born, when he says, God set me apart. He didn't know this was his story until later in life, until he started to get to know who this God really is, and started to get to know Jesus. But now he looks back, and he says, oh, my story started back then. Before I was born, God set me apart. And at this point in his story, at that very phrase, the, the, something shifts. Because before then, he's been talking about I, I, I. Like, I was all about the traditions of my father. I wanted to destroy Christianity. I, I, I. And at this point, it switches, and the subject becomes God. He says, God set me apart before I was born. He called me by grace, He revealed His Son to me, He gave me a new mission and a new purpose in life to preach this gospel to the Gentiles whole story becomes all about God you know when he says these words God set me apart before I was born this is this is kind of clever what he's saying here because Pharisees the people that that Paul associated with and ran with and really cared about for much of his life they would identify themselves as being set apart by keeping God's law Pharisees would say that's how we're set apart that's what makes us different we keep God's law you don't Paul is saying, I was set apart before I even had a chance to keep or break God's laws. I was set apart before I even saw the light of day. I was set apart before my name was even known, before I was born. And and then later in life, once I was born, that's when God called me by grace. This undeserved moving towards me in kindness, God called me to Himself. And then, and then he says, he, he revealed his son to me. And, and really what Paul's saying there, when he says that, that Jesus was revealed to him, he means more than just that, that confrontation he had on the road to Damascus. It's more than that. Because over time, what happened is that God revealed to Paul, and really this could be translated revealed in me, it was an inward in word realization, illumination, whereby Paul came to see Jesus in a whole new light and realized he's not just a guy that a bunch of people have become infatuated with and are following. He is, in fact, God. And he says, God commissioned me, gave me a new calling in life. You're going to preach Jesus and make much of Jesus and then, and just the, in the twist of irony, which is, which is kind of weird, he says, you're going to preach this gospel amongst the Gentiles. Paul was pretty proud of his Jewishness. He, 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 was, he was pretty good at being Jewish. God says, no, you're, you're not even going to operate in that realm anymore. I'm going to send you to Gentile people. You're going to make much of Jesus there. Do you see the power of God in this story? Do you, do you see the sovereignty of God? And by sovereignty, I, I mean I mean God's uh, uh, overarching, complete control over all of this. God sets apart, and then He calls, and then He reveals, and then He commissions. And maybe even if you, as you hear that language about God setting someone apart, choosing them before they were born, that might trouble you a bit. Maybe, maybe you have a hard time knowing what to do with that. I mean, that's understandable. But this, this idea that God chooses people and sets them apart long before <laughs> they're even born, before in some passages say the foundations of the earth. It's a truth that we can't escape. It's throughout the Bible. It really is. I'll read just a couple of verses here that that, that talk about this truth. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, He, God, chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Set apart. Chosen. Look at, look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Here's one reason we can thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved by the Lord. Here's one reason we thank God for our brothers and sisters. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief the truth. So so what was going to happen in the future? You would be saved. And how was that going to happen? You were going to be saved by the Spirit as you believed in the truth. That was going to happen in real time in your life, but before that ever happened, Paul says, I thank God that he chose you in the first place. The more we come to to really um, ponder, pray over and, and receive that truth in the full glory. Not trying to, because to, to, I've seen people, I've, seen, I've talked to people, friends of mine, who have done gymnastics in their minds and with the Bible to try and get around the fact that God actually chooses a people for himself. You exhaust yourself doing it because it's all over the Bible. So the, the, the more we come to just submit ourselves to that and be like, that's true, I don't get it fully, I don't understand that completely. But I submit myself wholly to it. And then you start to find comfort in it. Because because when, when God says, I set you apart, I chose you, you know what he's saying? He's saying what we, some of us often say, we love because he first loved us. What does that mean? When God sets apart and he chooses a people for himself before the foundations of the earth, it's an act of love. He's loving us way before we even had a chance to love him. Now, the fact is that the Bible also teaches a balancing truth on the other side of this. I'll give you an example of it. In Romans 10, Romans, the book of Romans, also written by the Apostle Paul, is one of the books that does such an amazing job of laying out before us the fact that God is sovereign, that he works out all things according to his good purposes, and that he chooses people for himself, and he calls them to himself, and he reveals Christ to them, and he saves them. It's all about the sovereignty of God. And yet, look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 9. He says, if you, see here he's not talking about God. He's showing us the other end side of the coin here. He's saying, if you, whoever you are, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever you are. He didn't say, look, if God chose you, and you'll find out later if that really happened or not. No, he says, look, if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then later in verse 13, he goes on to say, for everyone, everyone without distinction, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe what we have here is the same truth from two different sides. From one side, we see God chooses in love, he moves towards people and says, I'm going to, I'm going I'm, to, I, I promise to love you and save you. And then the other hand, we have this responsibility of people like you and me to actually believe the message of the gospel and to, to call out on the name of the Lord to be saved. One of the greatest preachers, I believe, who ever lived, a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way. I think this is good. He said, before salvation, before we are saved, we see a sign on the outside of heaven, and it says, Whosoever will, may come. Anyone who wants to come, come on in. But then he says, Then we get inside, and we turn back, and we look over the door, and we see another sign on the other side of the door, and it says, Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see, this idea of God's setting apart and choosing, electing a people for himself, it's best understood in hindsight. Because it's really only after we've come to Christ, come to know Jesus, that we'll realize that we were chosen from, by him from the foundations of the earth. When we come to actually decide to follow Jesus, make a decision to submit to him as Lord, then we realize in hindsight, he had made a decision in eternity past to make me his own. The sovereignty of God is all over this origin story of Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul lays it out plainly to us. And what we have here, really, it's a very short story in these few verses, but it's a summary of Paul's whole life. And and so one of the things I wanted to ask you, if if you're a follower of Jesus, do you see your life like this? I think we should see our lives like this. If you're a follower of Jesus... There was a life before you came to know Jesus. Maybe you don't know exactly when that happened, but there was a former life that you had at some point before you came to know Christ. But then, but then, something happened. This God, who had been pleased to set you apart before you were born, called you to himself, and he revealed Christ to you. And he's brought you on his mission to live for him. That's a summary of your life if you're a believer in Christ. And and do you see the glory of of God in all that? This kind of gospel, this message of salvation, is not the kind of message that that people would normally come up with. This story that Paul tells here doesn't make Paul look very good. It makes God look really good. It makes much of Jesus and not of Paul. And usually the religions that we come up with as people make us look pretty good. Paul goes from hating Christians to becoming a Christian and and, and he becomes a leader of Christians and that's a big deal. There's no doubt about that. But let's be honest. People do change religions sometimes, right? Maybe you know people in your life that have converted from one religion to another and maybe even a third or maybe back again to another. People make big decisions to change affiliations, like political affiliations, for instance, on a pretty frequent basis. People change their minds on big issues all the time. And the fact is, we're all kind of fickle in that way. Have you ever kind of changed your mind on a big issue? I know that um, our country is filled with Golden State Warriors fans. Five years ago, there were none, zero. I think a census proved that there were zero outside of Oakland and, and California. Not to mention all the Cleveland Cavaliers fans. Previous to 2014 or 13, I guess it was, there were very few. But, but even affiliations that are, that are actually significant and, and seem strong, under the right circumstances, you and I might be willing to trade in those affiliations and those positions. And religious affiliations are no exception. People switch them. But here's the thing about Paul that I want us to see. Here's the thing about Paul. In verses 15, down through the end of this section, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, I didn't hear this gospel that I'm giving to you from the other apostles. It's the same message that they preach, but I didn't inherit it from them. He's saying, look, I didn't meet them and then just get influenced by them. I wasn't just like brought into their club and then just assumed their beliefs. He says, I wasn't influenced and convinced by these other Christians. It wasn't like like I I got to know them, I got to know Peter, I got to know James, I got to know John. They, They weren't as bad as I thought. They opened my eyes to a few things. We had some discussions, some late night conversations, and finally I came to agree with them. No, he says, God revealed the beauty and the power of Christ to me directly. God revealed the gospel message to me. And really, here's the thing that amazes me about this man. Here's the thing that should amaze us about this story. The Apostle Paul does more than just change teams here. He goes from being a guy who spends his life, all his energy, working to do everything he can to earn God's approval in his mind, his eternal destiny depends on how impressive he is in God's eyes. This man was an overachiever. He was like summa cum laude, first team All American. He's the guy that all the other Pharisees felt lazy and non committal when they were around. Him. He makes us look bad. I thought I was serious about this, but this guy is off the charts. But after an encounter with Jesus Christ, he becomes a man who can't say enough about grace. That wasn't even really a category for him. He can't say enough about the fact that God hands out for free acceptance and approval and forgiveness to all who will receive it by believing in Jesus. He's totally taken by this message. He embraces it and he's like, everyone has to know this. Even the least impressive, even the worst sinner can get in on this. It doesn't matter what you've done. Believe in Jesus. Look, the gospel didn't just confront Paul's core beliefs. It did that, but it went deeper. The gospel threatened everything that Paul has built his life on. And Paul decides to walk away from it all. Everything that he had erected, everything that he had founded, his identity, his sense of, of, of self worth, his goals for the future, everything was built on top of what he came to see was useless and pointless and so much less beautiful the gospel. So he walks away from it all and he stakes everything on this. I can be righteous by grace through faith in Jesus. And this is, this is a huge paradigm shift. And, and it displays to us the power of the gospel. That, that a guy could go from, from working hard for God to resting in the grace of God. And, and that all the work he now does it's just a response to the grace of God. He's freed, and he wants everyone else to be free. And by the way, this is, this is what true repentance looks like. The Bible often talks about repentance and faith in Christ. This is what repentance looks like. It's, it's a dismantling and a walking away from what you built your life on and, and, and abandoning it and building a life on Jesus. He says, that was my former life. Not, not, he's not just saying, Look, I used to do some stuff, but I'm not really into that anymore. I'm trying to live differently now, I'm trying to clean up. No, he says, I built a life and God showed me how silly it was. So I walked away from it into a new life that God gave me. So, what are you working hard for? What, what are you working for in life? What's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? Paul had some some serious goals. He abandoned them all, traded them in for a life in Christ with a new mission handed to him by Christ. Paul's story ultimately brings glory to God. When you read this testimony, what you see is a very big and loving Lord, a merciful God who does everything. That that passage in Acts 9 I read before about how the Apostle Paul is on his way to Damascus, he gets knocked down by the vision, and that's an awesome story. But I think what's going on here in Galatians 1 is actually a cooler story. I think it's a more amazing story. Because it tells us about how God had orchestrated everything in Paul's life from before he was born to bring him to a point where he would call him to himself and rescue him. And that story reflects your story if you are a follower of Christ. What has God done in your life? What has he done? If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you look and it looks pretty unspectacular. I believe that if you feel that what God has done in your life is unspectacular and you're a Christian, then you're not looking closely enough. Because you were set apart before you were born. You were called. God revealed his son to you miraculously. You're not an apostle, capital A apostle, but God has commissioned you to be on his mission. And and God's able to do through you things that you would not imagine. You are, as a follower of Christ, wrapped up in a vital part of God's amazing plan to rescue a people for himself, and ultimately to renew this whole creation. You are part of that much bigger story. So I want to encourage us to keep coming back to that much bigger story. Find significance, find meaning in it, find direction in it. Because of the tendency that we have is to lose sight of that bigger story. I believe even the Apostle Paul would have struggled with that. Do you think that even after all this happens in the Apostle Paul's life, that sometimes maybe he was tempted and maybe he fell into this kind of sin where this tendency to want to start working to get God's approval again? I'll bet he fell back into it. Romans 7, he talks about just the, the, the struggle that he has, that the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do, he does. There's this inner sin struggle, and for us, it's the same thing. Maybe for you, it's not lapsing back into working hard for God, or maybe it is that. Or maybe for you, it's lapsing back into not caring about what God expects or wants from you. Maybe to you, it's a tendency to wallow in guilt and sin and, and just feel this sense of shame and forget what God has done for you in Christ. Or maybe your tendency is on the other extreme is to take sin very lightly because, hey, I'm forgiven, so who cares? I can live however I'd like. Wherever you are on that spectrum... Christ calls you back to remember this much bigger story, who he is and what he has done to make you his own. And this gospel call, it goes out to everyone. Everyone here can get in on this. Because Jesus says to you, whether you've grown up in church or not, come to me and I'll give you rest. Believe God when he says that you can be made righteous. That you can receive grace by believing in Jesus Christ. Believe God when he tells you that your present life can actually be your former life. And that what God will give you is a new identity. A new mission in life. A new reason to get out of bed in the morning. And to live life wherever he's placed you. In the gospel, God offers all of that to you. The gospel is not a call to work harder to reach God. It's the story of how God worked all things together to reach you. Let's pray. God, would you would you confront us inwardly with the glory of your grace in Jesus Christ? What you've shown us in your word is is um it's earth shattering. And, and yet, Lord, our, our hearts, our eyes are so dim, and our hearts are so, so dull at times that, that it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't strike us that way. But you can change that, Lord. You did it for the Apostle Paul. If we're in Christ today, it's because you've done it for us. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you do it for the first time for some of our friends today? Would you reveal the glory, the beauty, the power of your grace In Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.
0: Amen.